Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Tuesday, May the 2nd, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right, how's everyone doing? Let's settle in for a nice Tuesday night show. Hope everything's going well where you are. Here, we're back here in San Francisco. We're back to the winter again. I mean, it's raining. It's 50 degrees. I heard up in Canada, up in Canada, it's 80. How is it 80 degrees in Canada and it's 50 degrees in California? I need a weather person to call in and tell me what's going on. How it's 80 in Canada and 50 in California. Shouldn't it be reversed? Shouldn't it be 50 in Canada and 80 in California? No, instead it's beautiful and sunny in British Columbia and it's freezing and cold and raining. Here in San Francisco, this is like if things aren't bad enough here. And if you are a listener of this show, if you're a regular listener, even a irregular listener, you know that San Francisco's fucked up in so many ways. But on top of that, this is like a never ending winter. This is we've literally had about eight months, about eight straight months of like cold and wet and windy and disgusting weather. So it used to be you could say, well, Yes, people piss on the street and defecate on the street and there are homeless tents all over the place and it's crime ridden. But the weather's so nice. Can't even say that anymore. Now, on top of everything else, it's raining all the time. And you would think the rain would wash all of the scum off the streets, but it doesn't. It doesn't. You look one moment, they're gone. The next moment, they reappear. So even the rain doesn't do that. I remember that scene from Taxi Driver when the presidential candidate gets in the taxi cab of Travis Bickle and he asks Travis, what do you think needs to be done, Travis? By the way, the, the president, the presidential candidate in that film was played by Leonard Harris, who was a very big film critic in New York at the time. Just a little little piece of nostalgia and anyway a travis bickle answers him well maybe just one someone's got to clean this shit up one day i hope that this big rain comes and just washes all this shit off the streets that's what needs to happen and i agree with him that's what needs to happen now in our in our major cities um so what was i going to start with today i had said as I turn on Fox News just before I come on, I see that that uh, suspect who killed the, the illegal immigrant who was deported five times and killed that family in that horrible uh, execution-style manner was uh, is in custody. They got him. They caught him. Maybe they'll deport him for a sixth time now. It, this, is, this is the amazing thing. So every time there's a shooting, right – Every time there's a mass shooting, Democrats right away talk about guns. They love talking about things they don't know about, right? They automatically, they're experts. Oh, these AR, AKs, we have to make them illegal. These AR, AKs, these assault weapons, when they're not really assault weapons, they're semi-assault. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. So um, they could know what they're talking about, though, because I have a, a friend who's a big gun enthusiast, and he taught me in about five minutes what all these things mean. And how they're never they're the Democrats are always wrong when they talk about guns. So they could learn, right? They could go and learn if they want, but they don't want to, because they want to be they want to be a political issue, right? 
So they keep on talking about getting guns off the street. They, they can't stop talking about banning assault weapons. They can't stop talking about that as though that would end gun violence. Now, we know in the past we tried this. You see, it's not like something we haven't tried before. We, we tried it, and it, it didn't work. We tried it for about a decade. And all of these stats, all the research that came out of that showed that it didn't do anything to stop not only stop uh, uh, mass shootings, it didn't do anything to even limit them. In other words, the amount of mass shootings before the assault weapons ban, during the assault weapons ban, and after the assault weapons ban had been about the same. There was no real decrease in these mass shootings. This is what Democrats have screamed and yelled about, that if you want these mass shootings to go away, ban assault weapons. But we tried that already. Now, even if we didn't try it, it would be idiotic. But the fact that we already did and it didn't the reason why we let it expire is because it didn't make any difference. Believe me, if it made a big difference, it would have kept going, but it didn't make any difference. But on top of that, let's say we did it again and I'll tell you why it didn't make any difference. The same reason it won't make a difference if we do it again, because <laughs> there are so many of these weapons already on the street. There are millions of these weapons. So let's put it this way. A law-abiding citizen who maybe is just a gun collector, like my friend is, my friend has these guns. He has these bullets. I have no worry about him going and killing people. He's not the, so the people who, let's say, want it for hunting or just the collections, they won't be able to buy them anymore. But there are millions of these guns on the streets. So a criminal on the black market will always be able to find one if they really want to, to kill people. On top of that, even if you don't have an assault weapon, you can simply, as most gun experts have said a million times over, they could do as much damage with one Glock or, or a Glock in each hand. Do you understand? So it wouldn't make any difference whatsoever. Once again, it's all about virtue signaling and what feels good to the left, not about what will actually make a difference. What would make a difference if we somehow tackled mental illness or we somehow tackle every person that commits these crimes are mentally ill? They're all mentally ill. Something's wrong with them. It's a mentally ill person who has a confrontation, a simple, mild confrontation with a neighbor and then goes and kills all of them. They're mentally ill. They're not, they're not all there. OK, so if we tackle mental illness, that's one thing, but also tackle this God, this this uh, this plague that's going around where we don't care about human life anymore, where no one cares about their fellow human anymore. This is really what has changed a lot over the last few decades. This this total disregard for human life. So tackle that stuff. Tackle that plague. Tackle the the mental illness that we're dealing with. More and more people seem to be mentally ill. That is what needs to happen. But. The things I'm talking about tackling are difficult, and there are probably about 12 other things that need to be dealt with also. That's difficult work. That's real work. There's no virtue signaling in that, right? There's no easy political virtue signaling in that. There's easy political virtue signaling in just saying, get rid of the guns, assault weapons ban. It doesn't matter that it doesn't work, but we've seen this. I'll say this for the umpteenth time. We've seen this with Democrats over the last three years with COVID, just doing things that 
feel good, that are virtue signaling, that don't do any good at all when it comes to stopping a virus, right? The masking, the, the, the vaccines, the forced vaccines, the school closures, the lockdowns, so on and so forth. Things that just did harm didn't do any good, but felt good for them to say it in their liberal minds. They could think it would work, right? It was virtuous to say these things, but they don't actually do anything to help humankind, okay? And so the same thing goes with the guns. They don't care. The Democrats don't care about helping humankind, about doing things that actually work. They just want political issues, political wedge issues that will help them get votes and collect money and that feel good and sound good. That's it. Once you get in, once you challenge what the Democrats want to do at all, the logic behind it, the facts, the common sense, everything they believe in turns to pixie dust okay so they don't want to actually talk about these issues they just want to say get rid of the guns if you're against the assault weapons ban you're a murderer they just want to say these things that sound good sound strong but don't actually mean anything don't actually help the situation now in this one case of this guy who killed these five neighbors um that shot the five neighbors Here's something that might have helped this case, okay? And it might help other cases. Close the fucking border, okay? This guy was not deported once. He wasn't deported twice. He wasn't deported three times. He wasn't deported four times. He was deported five times. And yet there he was living, there he was living there, living in Cleveland, Texas. Nice house, good house. Neighbors, like a normal person, like a citizen, after having been deported five times. So where was the government? Where was ICE? Where were they? The borders are too porous. So we're not just seeing the incidents. And yes, there aren't a lot of them. Okay, I'm not going to be like a Democrat and exaggerate. But there are cases where illegal aliens kill people. Now, that is a, a totally fixable problem. You know what I'm saying? It's um, it's an unforced error, if you will, like to say in sports, because if a citizen's a citizen, so they're allowed to be here. But these people shouldn't be here in the first place. And if this guy wasn't here in the first place, if one of his five deportions would have stuck, this would not have happened. This family would still be alive. That, you see, I can say for sure, unlike Democrats who talk out of their ass with gun control stuff that never works, I can say for sure. I'm 100% certain, I'll even say what I hate, I'm 110% certain that if this particular man were not in this country, this family, these children would be alive. 110%. The guy should not have been here. The guy should not have been here. Okay? Francisco Oropesa, a 38-year-old, should not have been here. He has been detained and released by ICE five times. The last account to record in 2006, multiple times, okay? Multiple times. They had him and they let him go. He was deported. He came back in. So this is the problem. This is a real problem. The immigration issue is a real problem. The open border 
is a real problem, right? Because what's happening even more often, we can put these shootings to the side, right? These are rare occurrences, thank goodness. But what's not rare is this fentanyl that's coming through. People coming through who could be terrorists, real terrorists, major terrorists, okay? But the fentanyl issue is huge. It's big. And it's not going away. And it's only getting better because our borders are so open. That's what it comes down to. Our borders are open. And if someone comes in here pushing drugs or someone comes in here and they're deported and they come back and they, and they keep breaking the law, things like this are going to happen. These are people who break the law. They don't care about the law. So the little things, the Democrats often like to say, oh, oh, what do you worry about the little things? So No, but the little things, the little crimes lead to bigger crimes. And this is it. Like coming into a country illegally leads to this guy killing five people, shooting five people, destroying a family. OK, so if you take care of the little crimes, if you don't allow the little crimes to happen, then the bigger crimes won't happen as often. See, this is real stuff. OK, this isn't just feel good talk. This isn't just woke virtue signaling. This is like real life stuff here. This is real life facts. This is the way it is. But the Democrats, just like these easy slogans, you know what they like? They like things you can put on the back of a bumper sticker, right? Assault weapons ban now, back of a bumper sticker or a button, right? Bees and bees, bumper stickers and buttons, right? Uh, that's it. Gun control now on my little button I can wear on my jacket, right? This is what they like. This is what they're all about. You can raise money and get votes off of bumper stickers and slogans, right? And this is all they're about. That's all they're ever going to be about because they don't – they know. If Look, if I know this, they, they know it. But they know that this is great politics for them. This is what they can use to get votes and make money and get political contributions. This is a, the, those political wedge issues that they don't want to go away like abortion. The Democrats are nothing without abortion and gun control, right? If they took away and, and now, you know, and they add, they add some, like now we have trans rights. If they took these things away, they would have nothing to campaign on. They would have nothing to run on, right? They can't run on things like the economy, right? They can't run on things like, they can't even run on war machine anymore because they're totally pro-war machine. They can't run on freedom anymore because they're anti-free speech. They're pro-authoritarianism. So what are they, what are they going to run on? What are they going to run on? They're going to run on what? Rent prices, gas prices, homelessness, crime. They can't run on anything. So they need their wedge issues like, like uh, abortion and guns and trans rights and all that nonsense. Without that, they don't even have a party. Forget about not being able to get elected. They don't have a party without those issues. So this is what's going to continue. It's the same thing. But what's partly hilarious and mostly disgusting is that if you watch this coverage on the left-wing news outlets, you won't see the illegal immigrant part of this pushed much, right? Illegal immigrant. If, the, if, the, you, if you get that much, like illegal immigrant, and then they'll go on to guns, right? So they'll just gloss over the illegal immigrant deported five times. They'll they'll pass on that and they'll just go directly to guns, right? like uh, directly to jail. Don't pass. Go. Don't collect two hundred dollars of monopoly. They go directly to guns directly there. 
because that's their wedge issue. So they're always looking for their wedge issue. Look, I've said this in the past and people think it's harsh. Democrats wait for the next mass shooting. They, they, they like, they like it. They, they wait for the next mass shooting so they can jump on guns. They don't want, this is how sick they are. They don't want mass shootings to go away, right? Because let's say mass shooting, let's say to, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord and Savior. I make the rules. I, I wave my magic wand and I make mass shootings go away today. The Democrats are done. What are they going to do without mass shootings? They can never talk about guns if not for mass shootings because they certainly don't talk about guns when we have inner city crime, right? When we talk about last weekend in Chicago where five people were killed and 27 people were shot, those are real numbers last weekend, by the way. Five killed, 27 shot. They don't talk about guns. All of a sudden, they don't, because they don't want to talk about the inner city crime. They don't want to talk about how bad their cities are. They don't want to talk about that. So they wait for a mass shooting and they hope they hope and pray it's not in California or Colorado like it is most of the time, majority of mass shootings, California, Colorado, Democrat states. But they wait for it to happen in Texas or they wait for it to happen in Oklahoma or Florida and they jump on it. They love it. They love it. So they'll talk about the one mass shooting every few months, but they won't talk about every weekend of five people killed, 27 shot in one city, Chicago. Forget about if we put... All the cities combined. Do you, do you see that on CNN and MSNBC? Do they do that? Do every, every week, do they put the mass shootings in the major cities run by Democrats combined? Do they have that ticker? I know they love like COVID death ticker. They're obsessed with the fetish of COVID death ticker. They love that for two years. But would they show the amount of gun injuries and deaths in Democrat-run cities, every weekend combined of all Democrat-run cities in this country. Now, you don't see that tracker. No, that tracker doesn't exist. So the only time they can really talk about guns is when there's a mass shoot. Yeah, it's a very particular set of criteria. Mass shooting, uh, assault weapon, which they consider assault weapons that aren't, and hopefully Republican state. Then they can talk about it all they want. They're such charlatans. Do you see how I can pick them apart for what they are? Because it's so easy to pick these people apart for what they are. They're charlatans. They're fake. They're phonies. They're frauds. They're sick, shirk creeps. That's what they are. To sit back and wait for a mass shooting that can push your bullshit, pointless, useless narrative but they got the guy now. They got the guy. So hopefully he won't be back a sixth time. Hopefully this time he won't be, uh, uh, he won't be coming back. He'll be going right to an American jail. But like I said, without this guy being here, without the open borders, this would not have happened to this family. The only thing that allowed this to happen is that this guy was here after being deported Five times. Five times. Look at the photo. Look at the fo look at the photos of the border. Look at the overhead shots of the drones, of the lines and lines of people. They're lined up. They're lined up to come in. They're lined up to come in like they're lined up to go to a, a concert in the city. That's what they look like. Look, they're waiting to come to. They're ready to go to the next. You know, whatever the fuck her name is, concert that's on Ticketmaster for a million dollars a ticket. That's what that's what they're waiting for. That's the, like they're waiting for. But no, they're looking to get into this country. It's not a concert venue. It's the United States of America venue. 
This is the problem. This is the problem. <laughs> Any other country would not allow this. You do you see a line of people trying to get into? Do you see a line of Americans <laughs> looking to get into Canada to immigrate? Do you see a line of Americans trying to get into Sweden to immigrate? Do you see it anywhere else but here? No, of course not. Why? So why do we allow it here? Why don't we lock the door? Lock the door and say you can't come in anymore. Or build a wall, whatever it may be. There needs to be some kind of a door. I don't care if it's a door. I don't care if it's a gate. I don't care if it's an invisible shield. I don't care if it's a fucking wall. There's got to be some kind of a barrier that prevents them from coming in here. It could be a wall of military. It could be a wall of border control. It could be whatever it may be. But they have to be stopped from coming in here, period. This is just one very extreme, disgusting, horrible case. But the, the drugs that are being brought in and the criminal element. That's, we haven't, hey, look, we have enough of our own criminals, okay? We're all set here. Thank you very much. We have enough of our American born and bred criminals in this country. We don't need them from Mexico or Venezuela or Nicaragua, wherever they're coming from. We don't need that. Okay. We have enough. We're closed. We're closed for business. That's something that this administration doesn't want to say, including that fucking moron Mayorkas. <clears throat> what a punchable face that guy has. You know, it's amazing to me. Trump was impeached this twice, and this guy is not even impeached once. This guy's a total fucking wreck. He's a wreck. He has no clue what's going on. The border people, the control people there hate him. They despise his guts. Why is he still there? Why is he still there? He just lies. Why can't he just say the border is closed? That's it. We're closed for business. No one else is coming in. No one else is coming in. Why are we accepting two, three thousand a day and more? Why? I don't understand it. Why? Why do we have to do that when no other country will do it? When no other country will do it? Okay? I try to go to fucking Canada as a tourist. I, ba I basically get strip searched. You know, when I was going to Canada a lot as a tourist, when I was younger, in my 20s, from New York City, I, uh, they would like, dump my stuff out and look through it. An American citizen from fucking Brooklyn, New York, coming just like for a tourist for a couple of weeks. Okay? Because I was coming in a lot. So like, well, why is this guy coming in a lot? What's he doing? Is he, uh, does he have a job here? Does he dealing drugs here? What might it be? All right. And they were very suspect of it. They always let me in, but it wasn't that easy a lot. But look at this. These people are coming here. We have no idea what kind of disease they have, if they're criminals or not, nothing. And we just let them in by the thousands every day. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. <sighs> Jesus. Like I said, every little bit of liberalism that I used to have has been like <laughs> wrung out of me, wrung out of me. No more. It's gone. And I think it's gone forever. Most likely gone forever. So we're, we're awaiting a press conference on the uh, illegal immigrant mass murder suspect. And you see Fox News... That is the way it should be stated. Illegal, immigrant, mass murder, suspect. Let's see. 
I want you to turn on CNN, MSNBC, or any of those stations, and see if they have it written as illegal immigrant mass murder suspect. Absolutely not. Not at all. They probably have whatever rifle he had, mass murder suspect, AK-47 mass murder suspect. You see? Because that's the narrative they want to push. So the memo gets down through from the DNC, through their shills in the media, the DNC on media, to make sure they phrase it the way they should to push their narrative. That's it. They want their narrative pushed. That's all they care about. The fact that the guy's illegal, deported five times, that's a side story, if it's any story at all. Because it goes against their narrative that our borders are too porous under Joe Biden. Speaking of Joe Biden, as we await this presser, I'm looking at it. So if anything interesting happens, I'll let you know about it. Just in case you're one of those people, like some people who listen to this podcast, who don't have um, television, who are living in like 1942. I'll cover it for you. Don't worry about it. No problem. Speaking of the uh, dementia-ridden president... <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this. See, you probably haven't heard this. If this was Donald Trump, I wouldn't have to even talk about it. You would have been hearing about it ad nauseum for the last 24 hours. But because it's not Donald Trump, you have to go into a deep Google search to find this because you're not going to see it on CNN or MSNBC. If Donald Trump had done what I'm about to tell you that Biden did earlier, it would have been plastered all over. Not only would it have been plastered all over the major news networks. The Democrats would want to impeach Trump a third time. Absolutely, without a doubt about it. So this is what happened. So Joe Biden was talking, which, of course, the Democrats know he shouldn't be able to do. But unfortunately, he had to because he's uh, president. So he was talking and uh, <laughs> he was at a White House event celebrating the Islamic holiday, Aid al-Fitr, Fitr. The Islamic holiday. This is once again, this is great. This is how wokeness comes to bite Joe Biden and Democrats in the ass. This is how wokeness comes to bite him in his old flabby ass. Okay. Why are they doing an event celebrating an Islamic holiday? Have you heard of this holiday? Ed al-Fitr? Ed al-Fitr. Have you heard about this? I need Reza. I need Reza to call in. I'll ask him about this. Okay. So anyway, they probably don't even celebrate it in uh, in Persia or Iran, but they're celebrating it at the White House. So he's at this event where he's celebrating this White House event. And an incident occurred after an audience member believed to be a Muslim man interrupted the president as he addressed the crowd. Too bad he didn't throw his shoe at him because I don't think Biden could move the way W moved. Boy, W, he really moved, didn't he? That was great the way he got out of the way. That's those sneakers. But Biden, I don't think he'll be able to do that. Biden responded by asking if the man who interrupted him wanted to make a speech, you know, sarcastically. He said, do you want to make a speech, Jack? Before derisively mimicking a southern accident and saying, hush up, boy, as my mother would say. So he tells this Muslim guy, hush up, boy, as my mother would say, like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in that Quentin Tarantino movie, Django Unchained, right? So the comment was met with laughter from other attendees. We're hoping it's, you know, nervous laughter. But many criticized this racially loaded connotations. So <laughs> he calls this Muslim guy a boy. 
in the southern accident, right? On top of this, there was a mayor of some city who was not allowed into the event. Uh, Oh, here it is. Here it is. A a New Jersey Muslim mayor, Mohammed Karula, was denied entry by the Secret Service. No one understands why. There's no explanation. So this is a Muslim mayor of a New Jersey city. Mohammed Karula. (laughs) And they wouldn't let him in to this event celebrating an Islamic holiday. I have no idea. So are they are they saying this this mayor is a terrorist? Why wouldn't the Secret Service allow the guy in? And then on top of that, Biden calls this Muslim guy a boy. Now, I want to ask you, look, I really don't think the moral of this story or the crux of the story is that Joe Biden made a gaffe. OK, because Joe Biden is an old, demented fool who we know is a racist. He's been a racist for his 50 years, a racist for his 50 years in politics. So that's not really the story, okay? And he's made gaffes forever. The real story here is, the real story is that (laughs) if this were Donald Trump that said this, if he yelled at a Muslim guy saying, hey, you come up here and make a speech, boy, what would the media be doing with it? What would the Democrats be saying? They would say he's the most racist person ever. What a bore. What a horrible man. And yet crickets, crickets. Only the RNC is talking about this, maybe a little bit on Fox News. Once again, you have to go into deep Google to find this. Every day I get up and I look for stories to talk about, to entertain you people with, you boys with. Just kidding. You people. And uh, and I had to do like this deep search. This is from K News. What the fuck is K News? You cannot find this that easy. You have to search for it. If Donald Trump had done it, Jacob, Jacob keeps coming and going. Do you have attention deficit disorder? When you come back, if he comes back, why am I talking? He's not here right now. Anyway, so. um. If Donald Trump had said this, this would be plastered. You would see it, you know, in Times Square on the ticker. You would see it on the Times Square news ticker. It would be Donald Trump calls Muslim boy, a boy, a boy. Donald Trump racist comment, racist comment. But because Joe Biden does it, crickets. You got to go into deep Google, deep Google to find this. Okay. So once again, showing this ridiculous double standard. I know people are going to say, Mike, yes, there's a double standard. But no, I'm fucking tired of it, especially when it's as blatant as this. And then here's the problem. They say they're real news. They say they're not the enemy of the people. They say they're fair and balanced, but they're not fair and balanced. I'm on Twitter today and uh, Dan Bongino, who I love, who I'm very upset, Fox Fox gets rid of the two best people on the station, Dan Bongino and Tucker Carlson. Really good business. Really good business, Rupert. Really proof that once you hit a certain age, you should be out, out, out. Anyway, uh, so Dan Bongino says something, and I retweeted it. Oh, yeah, every day Dan Bongino says, every day he says today is this date and Joe Biden's the worst president, and I always retweet it. And then someone responds saying, no, Dan, you're the worst. You're, you're the worst journalist around. 
you're such a, and I, I wrote, no, no, Dan Bongino has never said he was a journalist. Never has Dan Bongino or anyone on Fox News called themselves a journalist. But this person doesn't watch Fox. They watch CNN and MSNBC, where they pretend to be journalists, whether it's Russia Maddow or nervous Chris Hayes or the actor Lawrence O'Donnell. They pretend to be journalists so the people, the lefties who watch this just assume that the people on Fox News do the same thing or right wing podcasters do the same thing. But they don't. Many times I've seen people on Fox News saying, well, I'm not a journalist. You're the journalist. I'm not a journalist. I talk about the news. Greg Gutfeld has said it a million times. I give my opinion here. I'm not a journalist. They'll never say that on MSNBC and CNN. So they fool people because liberals are incredibly easy to fool. You have to be a real jerk to think that's actual journalism. What Russia Maddow, Nervous Chris says, or the actor Lawrence O'Donnell does, or what the, the dearly departed Don Lamone did. You have to be a real moron to think that's journalism. But they try to push themselves off, like Morning Joe and Mika. Morning Joe and Mika. Hey, hey, I thought liberals were into this woke stuff where you can't do that fucking stuff in the workplace. That you can't, you can't get involved with anyone in the workplace. Yet these two get married, and that's okay. Isn't, aren't the wokesters always talking about, isn't that what you learn? Don't they give you a video to watch when you go into a corporation? And one of the things they do is say, no fucking around with people who you work with. No, no getting involved with your colleagues. That's looked down upon. You can be fired for that. Yet, Joe and Mika, it's okay. Why? Because they bring in ratings, even though their ratings are shit? Ridiculous. Anyway, those people like Joe and Mika, they pretend to be journalists. They push that stuff as journalism, even though they're doing exactly what I do. What I do is not journalism. I want to make it clear, just in case you don't understand, but I know my listeners get it. What I do is called News Talk. I get the news and I talk about the news. I give my opinion on the news. That's what I do. And that's what all of these people do. There are very, very few real journalists anymore. Chuck Todd's not a journalist either. There are very, very few real journalists. I, I, I can maybe on one hand, I can name the number of real journalists. The, the one who pops up, of course, is Glenn Greenwald. He's at the top. He's at the top. Oh, uh, Michael Schellenberger, Matt Taibbi. These are real journalists. These are journalists. They cover stories. They investigate and they write and they talk about stories that they investigate the news. But the rest of us, the 99% on television podcasts are just talking. We talk. We talk a lot. I talk a lot about the news. Jacob, you want to come on, Jacob? You keep leaving. You want to come on? You want to come on and talk? Do you want to talk about the news also, like I do? You want to do some news talk? Okay. Jacob, go on and let's be heard. How are you? Ew. Jacob? Yeah. You got, I got you. You're on. Okay. Well, I've been doing some reading on Fox News, uh-huh. and I tell you what. I'm sorry, but the president we have is totally unpredictable. And I I think the way he's is acting, it's just the more he's in there, the more we're going to have issues later down the road. And 
honestly, I think Trump needs to be back in the office and try to clean this stuff up because all he's doing is trashing the whole country, basically. He's even, like, he's even talked to Russia, and I was doing research the other week on it, and he's already gave him $9.8 billion for more uh, weapons. And it's like, why? You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do know what you're saying. I understand. I'm not going to agree with you about Trump. Although I, I'll agree with you that Trump was a better president and would be a pres- better president again than Joe Biden. But I'm a DeSantis guy. But there's no doubt about that we need to get Joe Biden out of office. This guy, obviously, is not ready to do to, to the rest of his term. I mean, he's not ready to fulfill the rest of his term, let alone five and a half years, right? So, yeah. Yeah. We definitely agree on that. Yeah. And if you... Like I said earlier about him signing a a uh, paper that shows that he paid or gave them nine point eight billion. I don't know. Excuse my French, but for so fucking money, <laughs> you know, it's just he. It's like he doesn't. He's not thinking. He's just he's throwing money out there that doesn't need to be given to Ukraine. When they can have, we can have some of that money to pay for like life insurance and stuff like that. Right. But no, he's got to give all that money to Ukraine, and I think that's wrong, in my opinion. I don't know about yours, but that that's my. No, I'm, we we agree again. We agree yeah. again. I, we shouldn't be giving them any more money. That's over. It should be that should be done. Do you notice how we're not even hearing about that anymore? You know why? We're not hearing about Ukraine because they're losing. That's why. Because all that money is being flushed down the toilet. Believe me, if they were winning, we'd hear about it. But ever since that leaker, that kid that leaked, Jack, came out with all the information showing that they know that Ukraine can't win, we have heard crickets from the media about the Ukraine war. It's because they don't want to... uh put it out there and say, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. Look at me. I need help. They're not doing that because they know they're losing. Yes. Oh, they're losing. Look, everyone with a brain, I'm including you and me, knew that Ukraine couldn't win that war. There was no way. Oh, the only not. thing that you could have done if you were the United States or NATO is try to do some kind of a peace negotiation. But that's not what they want. They want to do this virtue signaling where they constantly shove money down their throats as though that's going to win the war. That's Jake. That's all the left knows how to do is throw money at situations and it never helps. And things always get worse like crime, like homelessness, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. get any better. Like housing doesn't get any better. All they know no. to do is throw money out the window. You might as well throw it into a fireplace and burn it. Yep. And it's like, you know what? And I, and I, and like you just said there, I totally agree on that. And you and you know as well as I do, the more money they shove down the drain is the money that we could have spent on life insurance and food on our for our families mm-hmm. and for like these oh I don't know, these 
churches that's doing revival and missionary works and stuff. You could even be in some money to missionaries right about now if they weren't shoving it down the drain. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Jacob, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Kokomo, Indiana. Kokomo? Wow. Mm-hmm. Kokomo? Yeah. Wasn't that a, a, a part of the lyrics in that, uh, be, in that Beach Boys song? Yep. Yeah, Kamoko. Yeah. I don't think they're talking yeah. about your Kokomo, were they? Probably not. Yes. Well, not. No, they weren't. They <laughs> no, they weren't talking about you. No, they weren't. It was the song that they came up with. But Right, right. Are you a, are you a NASCAR fan? Yes, I am. Yeah, I that... see a NASCAR. I see a car in your yep. little picture there. Yeah. Yep. You know, I've never been able to get into it. And I, I watch Fox News all the time now. And, you know, they, they cover all the big NASCAR events. But it seems like it's a huge thing there, right? I mean, it's, NASCAR is huge in the middle of this country, isn't it? It is. If you, it's, I mean, if you're talking about the best of the best of racing, NASCAR is the top notch in motorsports history. There is nothing better than NASCAR. I can tell you that. I know. Because I've seen, no. it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. those guys are incredible. I can't imagine being well, behind a wheel going 200 plus miles an hour around turns. I mean, it's just, it's not only is it 200 plus miles an hour around turns, but all these cars you have to contend with. It's, yeah. it's, tough, it's tough enough doing it on an empty track. With doing on a track filled with cars going, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. And, um, well, you probably heard about the one at Talladega between, um, oh, who was it? Ross Chastain and Kyle Larson and Ryan Priest. If you looked at the video, uh, um, Ross Chastain tried splitting through the middle for the first place and it shoved that one car up into the wall and, I see them going. I thought, oh boy, here we go. And Larson went down and came back up, and Priest just nailed him in the passenger side. Mm-hmm. Oh, good Lord. I thought, oh my. I hope Larson didn't piss himself. <laughs> but, he, but he was fine, wasn't he? Yeah, he was fine, but Ryan Priest was kind of hurt a little bit there. He, he wasn't getting out for a while, and then he finally got out. Well, and. The way those cars are built, they're built to take those kinds of hits. I mean, that car flipped like five times, right? About five times. Oh, yeah. So they're built so the passenger, it's like a cage, right? It's like a tight uh-huh. cage. So the entire car can be destroyed as the, the back of the car was totally destroyed. But the front of the car where the driver is was like intact. It's amazing. The way those cars are built, every car should be built that way. Yeah, it's just incredible on how they design those cars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go back to, like, what, 2009, 2010, the way they were, oh, good night. They would just obliterate. I know. Because I there know. was no sturdy um, bars at that mm-hmm. time. Right. But now you look at it at these cars now, and it's like, well, shoot, if you bump them hard enough they're like freaking bumper cars it's like oh my yeah. <laughs> yeah, these these cars are amazing they really are like i said i've never been able to get into it but i can appreciate what they have to do these guys 
and and the yeah. the kind of talent you have to have driving cars and being able to control those things and you uh-huh. know like going around 500 times like the Indy 500 I mean this is just it's just it's just totally amazing but I just you know what it is I probably I probably didn't get into it because I've never been to one you know I felt that way before I went to a rodeo but when you go to a rodeo and you're there in person you're like wow holy crap this is exciting but you don't get <laughs> yeah. the same feel watching this stuff on television you know you have to be there you have to be there yeah. feel the energy of the crowd and all that stuff and i felt that way you know that's the way i got into ice hockey is that i was a baseball fan a little bit of football mostly baseball my whole life and then i decided to go in the early 90s to a ranger new york ranger game and i said oh I, and i i all of a sudden, i became a hockey fan overnight because I was there and I experienced it. I experienced the, the speed and the crowd and the hitting and the physicality, and I got into it. And that's probably what I need to do. I probably should go at some point to a NASCAR event, right? And then I probably get into it more. Yeah, and they're doing one at uh, North Wilkesboro here sometime soon, the All-Star Race. And... Um, well, you probably heard Kevin Harvick is his last year is this year, and he's done. Yeah, uh, I heard about that. He's They actually are doing a replica of the old 29 uh, Goodwrench car. Wow. And and it's like, oh, my. The How they come up with these designs is – it it blows my mind. Yeah, like, no, the car's – and not just that, but the pit crews, right? The way they're able to work on cars so quickly and get the oh, problem yeah. fixed and refueled. It's like these guys, are, it's like a, a finely tuned machine, right? It's like a finely tuned machine. Uh-huh. And AI can never replace those people, right? <laughs> we can't go uh, that. Yeah. No, I don't, no. see, I don't I, see AI in the pit crew fixing a car. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Well, I got a uh, PlayStation, so I got the NASCAR Ignition 21, and they put the 22 expansion on there. And I drove one. I drove both cars. The uh, the the one cars they had in 20 and 21, and and stuff like that. And then I would try to drive the next gen car and try to replicate the driving style from the old cars to new the new ones and. You barely just saw the wheel, and you're around, or you're going up in the air, and it's like, oh my, Jacob. Did, did it I have any? Did it have any of these events in California? They had one in California. It called, was called the uh, L.A. Coliseum. The, oh yeah. Oh right, the L.A. Coliseum. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. And they that's had right. those there, and they're and. Then they had one at Bristol, the the last great Coliseum there in Bristol, Tennessee, too, on dirt. And it's just the way they think, I can't process all that. I know. It's amazing. It's, it really is. It's like, why in the world <laughs> how they design I can't even say the word well, because my mind is just blown. What's away. the next? What's the next big event? What's the next big racing event? 
The next big racing event is not until, let me see, until January of next year at Daytona. Oh, it t- oh they have nothing summer. through the summer? Really? Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, they do, but it's they do it in between because they got the Xfinity and Gander Mountain. Right, uh, right. Okay. Okay. Too. okay. Well, but, I tell you what, when there's a racing event, come on and talk about it. Would you do that? You know what? If we're going to be talking about NASCAR, I would more than happy to, my friend. Yeah, you could, you could be my NASCAR correspondent. You come on and talk about the event and set it up, let people know who the favorites are, who you think might win, cover the – next so next next race, would you come on, please, and do that for yes. me? Yes, and the next race that will be is um, uh, Wilkesboro, and I will uh, try to – Come on and do that one. Yeah, well, and, you can come on anytime. You know, definitely yeah. come on again soon. But definitely yeah. come on for that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So maybe we can stay in touch. Try to get everything prepped and ready for that. And then, I love it. I love it. I want you're going to be my NASCAR representative, Jacob. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, you know what? You're going to be my best friend on this <laughs> podcast the rest of your life, my friend. I'll tell you <laughs> oh, that right now. Wow, that's a huge statement. That's a big statement. <laughs> that's a really big statement. Hey, look, a lot of exciting things to happen. We'll have racing events. The election's going to start, you know, so it's going to be exciting times here on Call In. Yeah. And we'll talk more. Hey, Jacob, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, man. Yep. Yeah. So, Thanks for calling. Yeah. Speak, speak to you again soon. All right. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thanks. Yep. All right. You see, now I have a racing correspondent. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Because I know that conservatives are into racing. Look, Republicans are into racing more than Democrats. I'm not, I'm not quite sure why, but I think uh, one of the reasons is because uh, a lot of them, like Jacob, take place in, in Republican states and in, in Republican areas. But I think I want to go sometime. I forgot they just did that one at the L.A. Coliseum where they transformed it into a racetrack. But at some point I want to go. I'm telling you, if you think a like a, a rodeo is, is boring, go. Go to a rodeo and you will have a great time. The people are fun. Food's great. And it's very exciting. Another crazy thing to ride those things for eight seconds, to try to stay on. The, they buck up and down for eight seconds incredibly difficult stuff and you know what it might be good to get out of san francisco for a while to get out of california for a while because it's it's just more and more bad news here and i try to look for good things to talk about when it comes to san francisco and it's hard to find it's hard to find even when it's a good thing like yesterday we talked about the da not prosecuting the security guard it, it's a murder you know there's nothing nothing really good happens here sorry nothing good happens here um that hey how about that for your chamber of commerce slogan san francisco nothing good happens here <laughs> oh my goodness well speaking of nothing good happening uh Nordstrom, everyone knows Nordstrom, right? And uh, Saks and Anthropology, you know, all these fancy clothing stores. Uh, they're all closing here in San Francisco. Nordstrom, Anthropology, and Saks, or Fifth Avenue, are all closing 
Okay. Uh, this is out of Fox KTVU today. All right. Several national retailers are closing their stores in downtown San Francisco. Nordstrom announced Tuesday morning they're closing two of their downtown San Francisco stores after 35 years. Anthropology's Market Street location will close on May 13th, and Saks, or 5th, will shutter no later than this fall. Nordstrom said they won't be renewing leases at the Westfield Center, the mall, and the Market Street Rack, Nordstrom Rack, which is like the the uh, cheaper Nordstrom store, will both shut for good this coming summer. Decisions like this are never easy, and this one has been especially difficult, said Chief Stores Officer Jamie Nordstrom. Okay. Uh, Nordstrom added that the dynamics of downtown have changed dramatically, no shit, over the past several years and impacted customer foot traffic. Okay. I really want to be clear that this decision had nothing to do with our team's hard work, said Nordstrom. They should be proud of everything they've achieved together. Okay. Nordstrom said they're working with each employee to support them through the transition and will find roles for them within other stores whenever possible. Yeah. These are more people here in San Francisco who are going to lose jobs and will have to leave San Francisco. So if you want to work at Nordstrom, you'll have to leave San Francisco. He said the company wants to focus efforts on 16 other Bay Area Nordstrom and Nordstrom Rack locations. So one is going to close on July 1st and the other at the end of August. Another one will close very soon on May 13th. This is this is what's happening here, okay, here in San Francisco. This is what's happening. And you have Matt Dorsey, a supervisor, who now is all of a sudden concerned about the unsafe conditions that are making retailers flee and people flee from the city. He's concerned now. This underscores the urgency of why we must commit to a fully staffed police department, ASAP. Hey, Dorsey, what happened to your party and defund police? What happened to defund police? How's that going for you, buddy? Tourists we spoke with in the area shared sentiments of sadness and commented that people not used to urban landscapes may be afraid to visit surface. It's San Francisco. Oh, not used to urban landscapes? No, no, no. Not used to like Mad Max Road Warrior. That's basically what San Francisco is. It's like you see the movie Mad Max Road Warrior? That's San Francisco. It's not an urban landscape. Not an urban landscape, Picasso. Issue number one for businesses downtown, I think, is quality of life. And if we want to keep businesses, especially these retail stores in San Francisco, we really have to focus on cleaning up the quality of life issues. That's public safety. That's street conditions, said Daniel Hurstein of the SFK, the Chamber of Commerce. Maybe they'll take my slogan on. One city resident feels it's about saving money on rent. I know they have adequate security to stop the theft, but I think it's an easy excuse because it's San Francisco and know the problem we're having right now. You know, it's an easy excuse, says San Francisco resident Arjana Banks. Well, yeah, the rents are sky high. The taxes are high. But that's from your I'm sure this is a Democrat talking. That's from your governor, Gavin Newsom. But you know what this calls for? I know the answer. I got the answer. It calls for another road trip by Gavin Newsom to go to the red states and tell them how to do things the California way. That's what he needs to do. Another trip to the red states 
to tell them how to do things the California way, because it's working out so well. It's working out so well, the California way. Isn't Gavin Newsom, isn't the hair gel king of California just so great? Isn't he great? Ugh. Hey, Gavin, come here. Come here, Gavin. Come here. Come here without your with your, your armed guards. You're so anti-guns that your guards can have can have guns to protect you, but I can't protect myself because you're so, well, you're more important. You fucking, yeah, fucking, before I start doing my Joe Pesci, get him in the room alone without those guys. See what happens. So that's what we need. Yeah, Gavin, go to Indiana, go to Oklahoma, go to Florida. Tell them this is the way to do things. This is the way to do things. Forget, forget that, you know, commerce, forget that the business, small businesses, forget that tourism is thriving in your state. You don't want that. You want to do things the California way. Why would you want a thriving economy? Why would you want thriving tourism? You want to do things the California way. Why would you want to be safe walking in your streets? Are you crazy? You have to do things the California way. Don't do it the Ron DeSantis way. Don't do it the Abbott way. Don't do it the Kemp way. Do it the Gavin Newsom way. Why do you want quality of life? Are you crazy? You Trumpers, quality of life? How that man disgusts me. How he, how, oh, I can't, I can't even express how much this man is, this, how disgusting he is. How disgusting he is. I hate him with every fiber of my being, every fiber of my being. Speaking of people I hate, <laughs> I hate many people, you know that. But for those of you who are on Twitter, for those of you who are on Twitter, um, there are these two young kids who do these videos. They're two young kids in their teens or early 20s. I don't even know. I think they're in their, yeah. And they do videos talking about how horrible Republicans are. One is named Harry Sisson, and he's got a friend, him and Harry and his friend, okay? So Harry and his friend, Palette, guys in the last name is Palette, um, go on and they make videos pretending to be what you think they are if you watch the videos are just two young kids, two young idealistic Democrats. There's nothing odd about that, right? And they rant about how bad the Republicans are. And they say things like, catchy things like, Gen Z won't sit back and watch as the Republican Party tries to destroy our country. So they'll say things like that to try to get Gen Z, kids of their age, 18 to 29, motivated to get out there and vote for Democrats. All right. All right. They're idiots. They're idealistic young fools, but it's allowed. It's not a problem. However, these two little creeps are not just kids who are going on and doing videos. They are paid by the DNC, by the Biden administration. In fact, I believe they're paid about 200 grand. Okay. Harry Sisson recently signed. No, no. Okay. Palette is the name of a management company. It's not the name of his friend. I'm not sure what his friend's name is. Maybe I'll read this. Should I read this story? Yes. So basically, they've signed with a uh, 
an agency, a management company, and they've already received more than 200,000 from the DNC. Let me read the story so I get it exactly right. Joe Biden's handlers are planning to use an army of influencers to convince you why he should be president and why he can't remember what he did five months ago, five minutes ago. So uh, then they have videos. Here are two of his influencers who went viral this month. So and they showed the videos of Harry and his friend. I know these are just two boys who have no idea of sacrifice, discipline, history, or how the world works, but they aren't meant to convince the wise to vote for Octogenarian Joe. They are pushing to get huge numbers of foolish 18-year-olds to the voting booths as a red guard for the new regime. The thing is, these two want you to believe they're loyal soldiers to the one true king when in actually, actuality, they're mercenaries. They're mercenaries. The two are vigorously maintaining their super authentic shilling is actual love for Joe, but they got slapped with a huge Twitter community note for their trouble. Okay, so recently Harry wrote something. Republicans would rather make up BS lies about myself and Chris than talk about real issues. Yeah, Chris is his friend. It's absurd how much attention they give to a couple of people in their 20s who started social media pages from nothing and are simply passionate about their views. Uh, but. It's not just that. They've actually gotten paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So readers added content they thought people might want to know. In late 2022, Biden's campaign team connected with young social media influencers, including Harry and his friend, to draw on voters ages 18 to 29. Sisson recently signed with Pallet Management. Pallet received more than $200,000 from the DMC in the last eight months. And, and the, the uh, people on Twitter, the community puts up links to articles, okay? Puts up links to articles. So basically, uh, these are paid actors, okay? Who get paid, they get paid to do this. They get paid to try to hoodwink other young people to, to come in and vote for Joe Biden. So they basically work for a talent agency that exists to promote things on social media. But they don't tell you that, okay? They don't tell you that. They pretend they are just two young, idealistic kids who are Democrats, but they're not. They're paid operatives. This is how low and deceptive, deceitful the DNC is and the Biden administration is, that they have to have these two Gen Z shills. They have to pay them to promote young people into believing that old man Biden is 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 so beautiful and so authentic and so brilliant and so uh, and so um, mentally stable and with it that you should definitely vote for him. So in order to try to get 18 to 29 year olds to vote for an 82 year old and the Democrats know that's a hard sell. The DNC knows that's a hard sell. The Biden administration knows that's a very hard sell. So what do they do? They go out and they find two people or they'll look at look around and see who's out there and then they'll pay them to do these things. Right. They have a lot of followers. They've gained a lot of followers and they pay them to be shills for them to try to sheep herd them into the Biden camp. In other words, oh, I'm a 25 year old and. There are two young kids 
my age who are promoting Joe Biden. I think I'll give Joe Biden a chance. Right. So it's this influencing, this influence peddling that the that the DNC is doing. OK, that is the real truth. But once again, they don't reveal that it took the people who are on Twitter, the community on Twitter to out these people. OK, to show what they really are. And that's a shame. That's a real shame. It really is. It really shows how desperate the Democrats are, how desperate they are to simply get people to vote for them. And they constantly do this. They do this with young voters. They do it with black and Latino voters. They do it with everyone. They try to hoodwink them into voting for them. Are they going to do anything positive for them? Are they going to improve their lives? Have they ever? Of course not. Of course not. No way. But they'll do this. They'll try their best to fool people into into voting for them. But once again, thank goodness that um, I should say thank goodness that people are on this. OK. Thank goodness that these people are on this and that these once again, they're just it's all about the money. It's all about following the money. All right. These kids just want money. They want to make money. That's they found a way on social media to make money. And once again, instead of being honest about it now, of course, they're trying to do double talk and saying, oh, it's a talent agency. People don't know how these things work. Well, if there was nothing to hide, buddy boys, why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you put the disclaimer on this? Why didn't you tell people why weren't you upfront with them at the beginning when you started doing this? Why weren't you up front? If there's no big deal, if it's no big deal, if it's not a conflict, okay, if you're not trying to fool people, why not have been upfront about it from the beginning? And they weren't because they know they're full of shit and they were caught. And like all liberals who are full of shit and caught, they try to backtrack and smokescreen and gaslight instead of just admitting it. And hey, as the young people like to say, take the L, just take the L. You've been caught. Take the L. They're all the same. They're all, it's like a, a very sick cult, basically. It's a very sick cult. There are some people, once again, I'd like to try to find the nuggets of good news. There's got to be like nuggets of, of good news. Um, embedded in all the bad news. And about a month or two ago, the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco uh, voted whether they should revoke uh, sanctuary protections for fentanyl dealers. And they voted against that. So they, in other words, they voted to keep, to keep sanctuary protections for fentanyl dealers, okay? Now, a poll was recently taken, and it shows that a majority of the people in San Francisco support revoking sanctuary city protections for undocumented immigrants who were found guilty of fentanyl dealing. Released by EMC Research just yesterday, a survey of 500 likely voters found that 70% 
of San Franciscans either strongly support or somewhat support making undocumented people who were convicted of dealing fentanyl eligible for deportation. The poll results results came less than three months after the Board of Supervisors stymied a proposal from Supervisor Matt Dorsey to revoke the city's protections for undocumented immigrants if they are convicted of dealing fentanyl as well as another serious felony. The proposal sparked fierce backlash from people who argued that it targeted victims of human trafficking and people who are escaping violence in their home countries. Others contended that the legislation would do little to dissuade people from selling fentanyl, saying that drug enterprises can easily replace people who are deported. Well, that's interesting that the liberals think that this is the legislation would do little to dissuade people from selling fentanyl, saying that drug enterprises have runarounds. But these same people would say drug law, uh, gun laws will take guns off the streets, that gun laws will prevent criminals from getting guns. You see how inconsistent these people are? They're laughably inconsistent. Historically, San Francisco has rarely worked with federal authorities to deport people, focusing instead on fostering relationships between law enforcement and immigrant communities. Another more liberal slop. Dorsey said he was surprised by the support from voters, and he's now considering taking the issue to the ballot unless his colleagues will work with him on his original proposal. Dorsey said he isn't sure how many people the policy would affect, but argued there are already exemptions in the city's sanctuary ordinance for other serious crimes such as murder, carjacking, arson, rape. We can't lose sight of the fact that the brazen drug dealing and open drug scenes are robbing San Franciscans of the safe enjoyment of their neighborhoods, Dorsey said. The citizenship of fentanyl dealers became a flashpoint in the recall of former District Attorney Chesabudin, who sought different charges for people who were at risk of deportation. Budin alleged that many people selling drugs on the streets of San Francisco were victims of human trafficking from Honduras. Budin's successor, D.A. Brooke Jenkins, has vowed to take suffer a tougher stance on drug crimes. People continue to die of drug overdoses in San Francisco at a pace of about 16 per week. I want to say that again. People continue to die of drug overdoses in San Francisco, okay, at a pace of 16 per week. According to preliminary data from the chief medical examiner's office, Francisco Ugarte, an immigration defense attorney at the Public Defender's Office, said he was skeptical of the poll's findings, pointing to a statewide poll from two years ago that found a majority of Californians supported ending crime-related deportations. Well, that was two years ago, love, two years ago. Dorsey is irresponsibly whipping up hysteria and fear of immigrants, Ugarte said. Let's be honest about the solutions we need. I'm highly skeptical of a poll that would suggest San Franciscans would undo sanctuary protections. Well, it's undoing sanctuary protections for drug dealers, you fucking moron. Ruth Bernstein, president of EMC Research, said that the question was asked within a larger poll about unrelated issues. Bernstein wouldn't elaborate on what other questions were asked in the poll, but said the amount of support was high. We ask all kinds of people all the time, and 70% is pretty widespread, Bernstein said. It's a pretty significant amount of support. It's like these people can't believe, and I understand it because in a way I can't believe it because I know how nutty the left liberals are here, but it looks like it's a 70-30 issue, and a 70-30 issue is pretty strong in revoking. Why Why would people before be, be 
be in favor of keeping sanctuary city protections for drug dealers who are killing people and killing children. How could you be for protecting drug dealers who are killing kids? How fucking crazy do you have to be? How insanely liberal out of your mind leftist do you have to be to be for child murder? The same people have no problem with ch murdering children in the womb. But I guess once they're out of the room, they're fair prey for the drug dealers who they want to protect. Makes me disgusted. I'm just it's totally disgusted by it. Totally disgusted by it. But the positive here, once again, I know, Mike, you always go to the negative. Why do you always go to the negative? The positive here is that 70% of San Franciscans want, ha have a, at least a semblance of humanity and common sense and want these protections taken away from fentanyl dealers. That's good. That's good. Okay, so an update on the uh, Francisco Oropoza, the man who killed the illegal immigrant, five-time deported illegal immigrant who killed the family of five is uh, he was caught in a closet hiding under laundry. These illegals know how to do that stuff. This guy was caught, but they love doing that, right? They hide in closet, hide in laundry, hide in cars, under shit, under manure. They know how to do that. They're really good at that. This is a real human way of living, huh? It's a real human way of living, hiding from everyone all the time. So they got a tip about the guy. They said he's in a certain place. Someone gave a tip and they found him. So now they've got him in custody. Thank goodness. They got their man. They got their man, which is very positive, which is a positive thing. So like I said, though, if the border was closed, this guy would not have been there to kill these people. That's a that's a direct connection. That's not a hypothetical. That's not a, a maybe. That's not hindsight's 2020. It's a, it's a real thing that if the border were closed and guys like this couldn't be here, or if he was deported the fourth time, if the fourth time he was deported, he didn't get to make it back in here. These children, these five people, this family who was destroyed would still be living and breathing. And that's, that's just to comprehend that our open border policy has allowed this to happen is disgusting. Uh, it's just truly disgusting. And we have a, and we have the people there like Mallorca who are saying there's no problem. There's no problem. No, the border's not open. It's closed. It's closed. Don't don't believe what you see. I love it when these people do this, and the left does it all the time now. Don't believe what you see. No, what you see is a lie. Those lines of people trying to get in at the border, they're not actually there. You're actually, you're not, what, what you're seeing is not actually what's happening. Those are tourists with passports. <laughs> with the, those are tourists. Those 5,000 people on that line every two hours, are tourists with passports. They're tourists with passports. And we're just processing those passports. Oh, my goodness. And we believe this. People, I don't believe it. You don't believe it. But the left believes it. The Democrats believe it. The Democrats believe it. Yet, the Trump administration has a policy for about a month 
with the separation of the families, right? About a month it lasted, and that was all the rage. The media wouldn't stop talking about the border then for the one month. It was about one month, by the way. I know it seems like 80 years because they wouldn't stop talking about it. The DNC media wouldn't stop talking about it. But it's one month they had that policy, then it was ended, and you didn't hear the end of it. All you heard about was this terrible border immigration policy. Now, Biden's in office for the last two and a half years. Illegal immigration doubles and triples. We got like four million people, the most ever, coming under the Joe Biden. We got fentanyl coming in, killing people. We have guys like this guy coming in or opposed to coming in, killing families, and they don't talk about the border at all. There's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to see. How despicable are these people? You tell me. You tell me. How despicable are these people? (sighs) Well, it took them 75 minutes to arrest the guy after the tip came in. So they were right on it. Police doing their job as they always do. Police doing their job well. Okay, as they always do. But totally avoidable, really totally avoidable. You know what else was totally avoidable? And we haven't talked about this in a while, is the uh, the leaker. Remember the the abortion, the Supreme Court leaker who leaked the the. uh ruling, the Roe v. Wade ruling, which caused, of course, a lot of problems. It caused all those, uh, you know, demonstrations in front of the justices' homes, invading their privacy, that one guy who came across the country to kill Kavanaugh, caused all these issues. And of course, the leak in the court is is a fissure in the court. Usually things are airtight as they should be, because they should not be leaked, because there's no, there should not be pressure put on any of these judges to change their uh, pressure from the outside to change their views based on whether they want to, uh, uh, you know, live safely or not. So evidently, remember they were talking for a while about the leaker. We're going to find the leaker. We're going to find the leaker. No doubt about it. We're going to find this leaker. Well, did we ever find the leaker? No. Well, maybe, maybe because Alito says he knows. Alito says he knows who did it. But the problem is, the problem is he doesn't have enough evidence to actually do something about it, right? He doesn't have enough evidence to actually out the person, if you will. And since he's a justice, he actually believes in like due process. But, but we always thought this was ridiculous because we everyone figured it was like maybe 20, 25 people. There was a pool of maybe 20, 25, 30 people, right, who could have leaked this. And it shouldn't take more than about an hour to find out. You bring the FBI in, it should take no time at all. And yet it's just story just went away. The story went away. Well, this is out of the Washington Post. Just as Sam Alito wants you to know, the leaker didn't come from the conservative wing of the court. He's not saying who slipped the draft opinion in the abortion case to Politico, though he has a pretty good idea about the leaker's identity. But he can tell us that the culprit wanted to save Roe v. Wade. 
not overrule it, which always, of course, made sense. Maybe Alito's correct, but there are reasons to doubt the certitude he expressed and the astonishing interview with the opinion side of the Wall Street Journal. And maybe astonishing isn't the right word. Alito has shown himself to be thin-skinned and injudicious before. Well, of course, this is the Washington Post attacking a conservative justice. So it, forget about their opinion here. Once again, this is not news. The news is that Alito says he has proof, and this is what he said about it. But the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness, bullshit. Um, it's like the New York Times, all the news that's fake to print, not fit to print, um, has to has to interject. Once again, this is why we have no real, you can't get real journalism anymore. I want real journalism. I want to know what Alito said. What's it? Report on that. What did he say? No, I don't want to hear about your your ridiculously lefty wacko opinions about a Supreme Court justice who you say is thin skinned. Where where's the proof that Alito's been thin skinned and injudicious other than your left wing wacko fake journalist mind? Is there any doubt if you were an actual journalist, you know what an actual journalist would do? This is what an actual journalist would do. They'd find out who the leaker was, okay? An actual real journalist could find out who this leaker was in about 82 fucking minutes, okay? Where are the real journalists? That's what a real journalist would do. A real journalist wouldn't give their opinion on Alito talking about a leaker. They'd find out who the fucking leaker was. I'm so over this shitty, weak, lazy, Pseudo journalism we have these days. They don't think that Alito knows. They don't think that every one of those nine justices know who the leaker is and have known for months now who the leaker is. Is that what these fucking idiots at the Washington Post? Who wrote this thing? Ruth Marcus. Ruth Marcus who probably has an NPR bag and a PBS umbrella, thinks that Alito really doesn't know who the leaker is, that he's full of shit, that every single fucking justice doesn't know who the leaker is, when it's only a handful of people they work with every day there. And yet, a real journalist would actually know who the leaker is. They would have found out by now. But we have no real journalism, which allows things like this to happen. It allows things like this to happen because we have no real journalism. If we had real journalism, someone couldn't leak this and get away with something like this. But our journalism isn't real. It's, it's, it's fake. It's fake journalism. And they're not ashamed of that. They're not ashamed of that. I, it's, it boggles my mind how they are not ashamed of the fact that they went to journalism school, supposedly, many of them. They've always wanted to be journalists. They've always been writing. And they're not ashamed that they shit at their job. They're not ashamed about it. That I don't get. I mean, if I were a journalist, I'd want to do the best job I could, okay? I'd put everything into being the best journalist I could, which means doing real journalism, investigating stories, writing about facts, learning the facts, discovering the facts, investigating the facts. But that's not what they do anymore. 
They all want to be talk show hosts. They do. They all want to be these opinion people, but they don't have the balls to just go and do that or admit what they are. So they pretend to be actual journalists. They pretend to be actual journalists. Because they know they can fool the left. They know they can fool the left. And this is the thing. It's like when people say, oh, I want to go to San Francisco because I hear it's a nice city. Well, they're saying that based on the traditional history of San Francisco, okay, the allure of San Francisco, the nostalgia of San Francisco, but not the way San Francisco actually is. And the same goes for these outlets like the New York Times, the Washington Post, Associated Press, PBS, NPR. There was a time when they had real journalists working there, some of the best journalists in the world worked at these outlets, right? There was a time when democracy dies in darkness, the Washington Post slogan meant something. There was a time when all the news that's fit to print, the New York Times slogan meant something. So people still believe, they're still fooled, just the way people are fooled into believing that San Francisco is the, is the city they see in um, Alfred Hitchcock movies, in maybe even Clint Eastwood movies or whatever it may be. They are fooled into thinking that these news outlets, the Washington Post, the New York Times, are what they used to be, you see? So they, they have that, uh, um, they have that um, credibility, if you will, right, um, of being something that they used to be. And so people still believe that, the cachet, so that cachet, right, with them when you hear the Post, the Times, blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is they're a shell. Just like San Francisco is a shell of what it used to be, these news outlets like the Washington Post and New York Times and so on and so forth, they're basically a shell of what they used to be. And that's a real shame. It's a real shame. But what's more shameful is that they're fooling people into believing they are what they used to be. And they're not. They're not. Just because they still say democracy dies in darkness doesn't believe they believe in democracy. Just because they say all the news that's fit to print doesn't mean they're printing actual news. But they're living off of their nostalgia, the nostalgia files. That's what they're living off of, what they used to be. This will only last so long. Just like a city like San Francisco, my city, can only last getting tourism through their nostalgia for so long. Because after a while, word gets out and they say, you know what? San Francisco's not what we think it is, not what it used to be. And that word spreads and people stop coming. And very soon, it's happening little by little now. There's still a lot of liberals who are a fool, but Republicans, independents, they're not fooled as much, who believe that the Post and the Times are still what they used to be. But word is now slowly but surely getting around that not what it used to be. You can't trust it anymore. It's fake news now. It's not real. It's opinion. It's opinion pushed as news, right? It's a opinion disguised as news. And they're not being upfront about that. And word gets around and people will stop reading. They'll go elsewhere for actual real news. It just takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit. To, but how frustrating is that, that you look at this article, you want to find out more. OK, let's say you don't follow the news very close 
and you find and you want to learn more about the Alito situation. And so you Google it, Alito leaker. And what's the first thing that comes up is this opinion piece in the Washington Post about Alito, not the facts. So you have to dig and you have to dig to try to find what would be known as a dry, a dry piece about an issue, which is just basically the facts of the issue. Forget about how you feel about the leaker. Forget about how you feel about Roe v. Wade. Forget about how you feel about Alito or the court. I want just the facts. Just what was that? Was it Friday? Uh, what was that guy's name? What was the crime show? Oh, boy. Just the facts, ma'am. What's the facts, ma'am? Before my time. But just the facts. I want just the facts. I want just the facts. That's it. It's hard to find. It's really hard to find. I mean, facts with no opinion interjected. I don't, I don't care about your opinion. I really don't care about your opinion of Alito. If you love him, I don't, I don't want to care about, I don't, if you hate him, I don't want, it does, he's, a, he's a justice of the Supreme Court. He's there to interpret the Constitution and to, and to use the cases that are brought in front of him to decide the constitutionality, to apply the Constitution to those cases. That's his job. That's his job. Now, we know the left hates the Constitution. So normally, the more justice applies the Constitution, the more they're not going to like that justice because they don't like the Constitution. I, I understand that. But I don't want to hear. I, I really just want the facts about the case. I want to know more about it. I want to know about why Alito believes this, who it might be, why we don't know yet. These are the things I want to know. But why we don't know yet, once again, comes back to this. There's no real journalism. Because a real journalist, when the court said or politicians say or whoever may say, we don't know who the leaker is or we can't find them, a real journalist would say, I'll find out. I'll break that story. I'll win a Pulitzer for breaking the story. Where are those journalists who want to win these the Pulitzer Prize, who are worthy of the Pulitzer Prize for journalism anymore? They're non-existent, non-existent, and it's very sad. It's someone, like I say, who grew up following real journalists, who worked. I worked when I worked in radio I, in the 90s. I worked even into the 2000s. I worked with real journalists, people who cared, news people. I guess we can't say newsmen anymore, even though they all were. It was a fact. Uh, but, I, but news people who cared. They cared about the issues. They didn't want to be sucked into the politics. They didn't want to be sucked into the opinion or giving their opinions because they wanted to be considered real fucking journalists. They cared about that. They cared about their reputation as real fucking journalists. And that's all gone. That's very sad. But what's not said, <laughs> as I try to make a smooth transition here, is that this show airs, the name of the show, Yes, I'm ending the show. That's what I'm doing now. Uh, airs. His name of the show is in Let's Be Heard. Let's get that out of the way. And it airs uh, weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Time, which means if you know the days of the week, I'll be with you again tomorrow night for sure. Okay. But until then, this is Micah Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it. <laughs>